If you've ever felt like you want to grow a positive team culture and become a better leader for those around you, whether you have a team in place now or you plan to build one in the future, then grab your notebook and listen up as this episode is most definitely for you. You're listening to the Freedom Found Podcast, an audio community for freedom-driven entrepreneurs wanting to build and scale an impactful online business that allows them to spend more time with their toes in the sand than their fingers on the keyboard. I'm your host, Crystal Church. I'm an email copywriter and business mentor, borderless entrepreneur, and wannabe dog mom. On this podcast, we'll talk all things online business, marketing, strategy, mindset, health, travel, and what it's really like to be a borderless entrepreneur. Freedom Found is all about equipping you with insight and actionable tips to help you build your business around your life so you can spend more time exploring new cities, hanging with your family, working on that new business project, or quite frankly, however the hell you'd like. Hello, hello. We are talking to Mariella De La Mora, a certified EQ leadership coach who helps women become powerhouse leaders of purpose-driven brands. Her mission is to help women of color break glass ceilings in life and business by unlearning their conditioning and building their emotional intelligence. And she was named one of the top 10 leadership coaches by Yahoo Finance. Welcome, Mariella, to the Freedom Found podcast. Hi, yes, I'm so excited to be here. I am so excited to have you. And for those of you listening, you don't know, but we go way back and Mariella actually did a training in a group I was in ages ago and helped me extensively in the hiring and team growth and leadership process myself. So I'm beyond thrilled to have you here to share your wisdom with us. I'd love for you to like kick things off and just let our listeners know a little bit about yourself and how you got started in your entrepreneurship journey. Yes. So I got started, well, previously to becoming an entrepreneur, I spent 15, almost 16 years in marketing, most recently as a director of marketing, where I grew a marketing team from like me to six people. And so that was like the ultimate crash course in building a team, learning how to hire, how to promote, how to develop, how to pick the right people, how to keep them motivated, how to be a leader, how to face my fears, all these things. At the same time as that, almost exactly at the same time, I also co-founded a dating app, which was a socially conscious dating app where we matched people based on causes they were passionate about. And that also Oh my gosh, (laughs) I did not know this. I'm so fascinated. This is so, it's funny because I feel like I don't talk about that that often, but when I talk about leadership, it's relevant because I did not know what I was doing either. And we didn't have money to pay them because we had seed money, but it was like, so that was a test in leadership because we had to hire, figure out how to hire talented interns that were so motivated and passionate and aligned with our cause as a socially conscious dating app that they were okay with working for free, but maybe, you know, we would give them a stipend, but that's a whole different level of like motivation. And so absolutely, if you're able to do that, you can do anything <laughs> and, you know, across time zones and all the things. So that was my like crash course intro to like actually hiring, recruiting, growing, leading teams. And so last year, you know, kind of was like, okay, I want to feel more purposeful about what I do. My favorite part of marketing wasn't so much the marketing as much as it was the mentorship and the leadership. And so that is why I essentially kind of created what I needed, which was like, what did I need to become a better leader? 
And so that is why I do what I do now. Wow, that is so fascinating. And I just love hearing like how different your background was, like doing a socially <laughs> conscious dating app. Very cool, by the way. And then into what you're doing now and really helping women of color become better leaders. Can you break down a little bit more? Like what does EQ leadership coach mean? Yes. So leadership coaching kind of is like separate from EQ kind of is what it sounds like. It's like, you know, you help people to become better leaders. But when I started leadership coaching, I knew what emotional intelligence was, but I hadn't yet integrated it until a friend of mine told me that in her job, they had taken this EQ assessment and she told me all about it. And literally from the minute she told me what it was and what happened in the debrief and the things that came up about it and how true it was, I was like hooked. I was like, tell me everything. And so I went and I looked it up and I was like, oh, you can become certified in delivering this. And the reason that I, so essentially EQ is emotional intelligence. It's essentially unlike IQ, which is what you know, EQ is how you apply it. EQ is almost like your emotional IQ. It's like, how well do you understand and are able to read yourself and your emotions as well as others? How do you use your emotions in decision-making. And we as humans are logical and emotional decision-makers at the same time. So no matter how logical you think you are, emotion always plays a role in it. But if your emotions take over and you're not aware of them, you're not making good decisions. And if you're purely making emotional decisions, then that's not good either. So you can't be purely logical and you can't be purely emotional. So when I discovered this, I was like, I need to become certified in this. I need a tool. I love tangible tools within my coaching. And so that's what it is. I use EQ and the EQ 2.0 assessment. It's the world's only recognized measure of emotional intelligence. It's used by companies like Nike, Amazon, Google, Microsoft, Stanford to assess and grow leadership skills using like emotional intelligence as kind of the framework. This is so fascinating to me because just in like my development as a leader and my growth, I have learned over time about this sort of duality that you're talking about is making mm-hmm. these decisions from the emotional state or not. And like really what you need is to combine the two. And, um, yeah. and I've only learned that myself through trial and error as well. So uh, this yeah. is amazing. There's something out there. Yeah, there is. And it plays into even hiring because when you hire, you want to hire emotionally intelligent people, not necessarily just people who like know their stuff, but you want someone who is emotionally intelligent, who gets it, who's a good problem solver, who works well with others, who's self-aware, all of those things. And generally when we describe people who are impactful, influential, who we like to be around, those qualities, how we describe them, they aren't how smart they are and how much they know. They typically are emotional intelligence skills that we're describing. This is just blowing my mind right now. And I know this episode is not all about hiring and team growth, but because you've touched on it, could you expand a little bit more and say, okay, if, you know, we have listeners out there that are already have team members or looking to build their team for the first time or bring new members on, what can they do in their next hiring process to start to filter in this emotional intelligence and hire the right fit people? Yeah. So when thinking about hiring and hiring for emotional intelligence, and the reason that I say this is because they tend to be the strongest hires because emotional intelligence means it kind of doesn't matter what the situation is. It doesn't matter what they know. It doesn't matter what they don't know. An emotionally intelligent person is going to work well with others. They're going to problem solve and they're going to be able to grow with you better over time. So when I think about, you know, hiring and emotional intelligent hiring, I think about much less like what they know is very 
it's much easier to decipher. You can see it on the resume. You can ask for previous experience. You can see it. You can ask them questions that have to do with validating what they know. And I think that's easier to figure out. But with EQ, it's more of like, what qualities do you want this person to have? And what values do you want this person to have? So I think that that's something you should kind of ask yourself. And it's like, okay, what qualities? So maybe this is a person who is just very naturally curious. You want someone who is comfortable being honest. Maybe you want someone who acts with integrity, somebody who takes ownership over their decisions, somebody who looks at the bigger picture naturally and is like, hey, is this the right question to ask? So you think about like, what are all the qualities you want this person to have? And then I think about, what question can you ask that would elicit a story from this person about that? So rather than, you know, do you see yourself as a person with integrity? Yes, of course a person would do that. But if you were to ask a question like, can you tell me about a time that you saw something happening that you didn't quite like agree with, but saying something might get you in trouble? Like, tell me how you dealt with that. That's going to tell you about their emotional intelligence. It's going to tell you about their values more so than yes, no questions. Oh, that is so, so good. I love that. And I'm going to add that to my interview repertoire list because, yes. wow. Um, Situational-based so questions. I'd say heavily, heavily, especially in the first round, situational-based questions that allow them to tell a story that tells you about that value or tells you about that quality of theirs, for sure. <laughs> yeah, you know what? And I can even say, sitting on the side of so many interviews, the answers sometimes that you get, like it is night and day from one candidate to the next who will give you this well-rounded answer to a situational-based question. And then one that will give you just a few words and sort of feel like they don't even necessarily want to be there. So I think you're so right about that and bringing in these more emotionally intelligent questions is just mm -hmm. something I hadn't thought about before. Yeah. So thinking about that and let's like flash forward a little bit. We've done our hiring. We've got these emotionally intelligent team members. Let's really dive into things and this bigger picture of what we should be doing to be more emotionally intelligent leaders. The first step is generally always like the most basic. So I actually was like, okay, if you, if we, anyone wants to begin becoming more emotionally intelligent, honestly, it really just starts with like becoming a better listener. Like think about like the next time you have a conversation, rather than you thinking about what you're going to say next or what you want to get out of it, become curious about what is this person saying, reflecting back? Like, do I understand you correctly? Am I hearing you say this? Why? Why do you feel this way? Can you tell me more about that? And then also equally, when you go into, let's say the next conversation you're going to have, start to become aware of like what thoughts you have about it or what stories you're telling yourself about it as you go into a conversation. Because really all that is, is that you're just starting to become aware of like your own thoughts. And a big part of emotional intelligence is really like, it's difficult to build emotional intelligence without self-awareness and without realizing like that a big part of you being a good leader is just you like being curious naturally and kind of like listening and questioning yourself and figuring out like, what does this situation call for? Because if we're not doing that, we're going to go in with what we think and we're going to operate based on our stories or we're going to operate and we're just going to charge. And like, that may be not what the situation calls for or what the person is even saying is necessary. So I think that's literally like the first thing is like, maybe spend a day talking less and listening more and asking why and getting curious and just see what comes up for you. I love that so much. 
I think that especially the stories we tell ourselves, even Mm -hmm. if they're not a negative story, right? But we always have this narrative going into situations, whether it's in our personal lives or with our teams and our businesses. Yeah, absolutely. I did a a workshop yesterday for MuleSoft where we talked about having difficult conversations. And a big part of that was like understanding that we are always telling ourselves stories and that most of what we think is fact is not a fact. It is a thought. And just being aware of the thought that you are bringing in That way you're able to put it on the shelf and look at the situation a little more objectively rather than the thought running the whole, you know, situation. And that's emotional intelligence because again, if you're not, then your emotions are running the show and we don't want that either. We just want to observe our emotions, but not be our emotions. Yes. You're tapping into like, what do they call it? Like we've got three parts of our mind, right? So you've got like the thinker, you've got the observer and I can't remember what's oh, the third and then the piece feeler. there. So it's like thinking, yes. feeling, observing. Yeah. So basically yes. you want to sit deeper into the seat of observation and then decide what does the situation call for? Do we make this logical? Okay. You know, we've got some data, we've got some facts, this makes sense. What do you think? And other times it's not. A lot of the times with your teams, the decisions that you make are, there's a lot of emotion because you're dealing with other humans and you're dealing with their feelings and thoughts and challenges. So it is, it's like sitting deeper in the seat of observation and it's kind of assessing like, what does the situation need? What does the person need? Yeah, I love that. I think that that's so key too, is thinking about what the person needs because Mm -hmm. so often as busy leaders and CEOs, we have a million and one things in our head, right? We're going into a meeting being like, okay, well, I need to cover X, Y, and Z. You know, we need to work toward this deadline. Maybe we need to fix or resolve some issues here or there. And it's all very crunch time, overcomplicated in our own heads, I think. And Mm -hmm. remembering that these are people on your team that are working with you. You know, they're coming in, they're working a job. Like what state are they existing in every day? How are they feeling Like checking in, I suppose. How do you recommend leaders like really on a daily basis check in with their team and see how they're doing? Yeah, I think that a big part of kind of the way that I view leadership is calling your team in. And so, for example, like what you were saying about, let's say you're like running this team meeting, but, and you're sort of thinking about what you want to get out of it. And you sort of have these blinders on and you're just like, all right, team, here's what's going on. Here's what we need. And then you're not checking in you don't only want to check in just to see how people are feeling, but you also, it's kind of your job as a leader too, to make sure that all relevant information or thoughts that they have are also brought to the table, not just yours. And that kind of does require asking a lot more questions than we often naturally do, especially when we're leading because we think we need to get this thing done. And so you might talk to your team member and say like, hey, I'm just checking status on like X, Y, Z. And then they tell you, but you're not saying like, Hey, can you just like, I'm just checking in. Like, is there anything that's come up today that, you know, was kind of surprising or interesting? Is there anything that you're struggling through? Is there anything that I can help you with? Anything you want to like share? And on those team meetings, really like creating space for them, like making them responsible for also filling that agenda with like, what do you think we are missing? What are you seeing from your perspective? Cause I can't see what you see. You see the business in a very different way than I do running it. Is there something that I should know? Is there something you want to share? Is there something you're surprised by? Like just kind of thinking about how can you ask them questions and call them in? And then when they bring it up, say, what do you think about that? How do you think that we should like approach that? How would you approach that? And really just like bringing that to the table because what you're kind of doing there is you are helping them to think critically. You're helping them problem solve with you. You're helping them to build their own leadership skills and you know critical thinking. And it doesn't just have to be on you. 
So the way that I coach and how I realized that I became a better leader was like by cultivating leadership in my own team around me. And I became better and they became better. So I think that that's, you check in with the person, but you're also checking in with like, what's going on in your world? How do you see it from where you stand versus where I stand? I think that is so powerful and something that a lot of people overlook. And I don't know if you could share with us a little on your perspective in your many years in like the marketing world. But in my perspective, I feel like there are so many people who jump into entrepreneurship and they start building out their teams and they Mm -hmm. put on this CEO hat. And we have so many preconceived notions Mm -hmm. about what being a boss or that's in quotes, being a Mm -hmm. a quoted boss or being a CEO is supposed to look like, which is a dangerous word already. It's like what it's supposed to be. But um, do you feel like that's something in this space where people are bringing in these pieces that we don't actually need or maybe aren't actually helping to cultivate positive or healthy work environments? Yeah, I think that we kind of bring in to any new thing that we do, but I'd say in particular, when it comes to leadership, like we'll bring in really the only perspective that we've ever had. So let's say you came from environments where your boss was just like, you got to do this, you got to do this. Like, I don't care. And maybe that's going to be like your perspective in coming in and saying, okay, well, I'm hiring people to get things done, but you don't just hire people for what they know how to do. You hire them for how they think. And I think that if you haven't hired people for how they think, then they're sitting there and they're going, I don't know, well, you didn't like, what do you need me to do today? And that becomes very exhausting when you do that. And so I think obviously you want to hire people that are emotionally intelligent for what they think, but likely the people that you have, if you're only giving them tasks to do, you're probably missing out on like a lot more that they potentially can offer you. So yeah, I do think that leadership is not something that comes naturally unless you've had a chance to practice it. So I think that running a business is so much more than having bodies and hands to get things done. It's also minds that amplify yours, creativity that amplifies and magnifies yours. Kind of in the same way that you think about like how like the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. So that is your team. An effective team that, you know, where a leader is really asking questions and cultivating leadership and calling the team in versus like giving them things to do, the whole should be greater than the sum of its parts. So that's in general, the way that I see leadership should be where you are getting the best out of them. And it's also bringing out the best in you. Absolutely. And that's the team that you really want to be a part of too, right? Yeah. A team where like your ideas are valued. And that quote that you said about you're not just hiring somebody for what they can do, but you're hiring somebody for how they think. That's when I felt the most valued in roles before I had my own business, right? Where somebody yeah. values, hey, Crystal, like, mm-hmm. you know, what do you want to contribute to this? Like, let's hear your ideas. It's like you feel like you have ownership, autonomy, you're a part of something. And mm-hmm. like, there's just more motivation and more at stake for you personally that you're invested in, right? Absolutely. And I actually think that's a really good question to ask ourselves what you said about like, thinking about where you did love to work. And maybe if someone doesn't have a positive experience previously, but it's like, what would be like your best work environment? Assuming you were going to go work for someone else, what would you want? And how can you create that, you know, within your own team? Because I think too often we get, it's kind of like our needs are being met. So we think there's not a problem or no one's complaining. So we think there's not a problem. Mm. 
But there's so much more than that with leadership. There's often, it isn't necessarily that there's a problem. It's just that there might be a perspective you're not hearing. There might be an opportunity you're not seeing. There might be creativity that is like lacking and you don't want it to just be on you either. So how can you create like the work environment that you would have loved to work at? Yes, that's so good. And you touched earlier on like creating that team that's like has that autonomy to give their Mm -hmm. ideas and you you checking in with them, but also having channels, like something we've implemented in our team this year is channels to say, like, I know there are ideas out there that like come up in the moment. Mm-hmm. And if we're deep on a project or we're working in a sprint, we don't always have time to go down that path. So yeah. like we've started a new channel where it's like, hey, these are our goals. Like we're going to just pop new ideas of let's mm-hmm. like really work through this idea and see if that works for X, Y, and Z later. You know, let's yeah. add this to the calendar. Let's build this out. And the majority of these ideas are not mine. And yeah. I love that because they're things I haven't thought about. And I'm like, that is way better than either how we're doing something right now how we could be doing something in the future or something like like we haven't even thought about before, but we should be considering adding to either our calendar or the way we serve our clients. And um, it just, it makes everything better. Yeah. And the thing is, is that somebody on your team can bring an idea or it doesn't even have to be applicable to your business. They might just say, this company is doing this. I just thought it was so cool. And that sparks a completely different idea from someone else that they never would have thought of because that's a source of inspiration. So not everything in creativity because there's business is art. Business is creativity. So it's like you creating an environment where that is fun, where there is creativity, where there is inspiration. You never know what that ripple effect is going to look like. And, you know, just trusting that like you're hiring team members because they're going to see things in a different way, not just to like, you know, execute. So that's a really good example of like, do you have a channel for people to just like bring fun, cool ideas, even mm-hmm. if it isn't a literal thing that you're going to implement? Yeah. And also you just have the best quotes. Business is art. It I is. love that. <laughs> it is. And it what is. a nice perspective, like a new way to look at it and say, like, what am I creating? Right. I'm not just yeah. existing in this tunnel vision, but like what masterpiece do I want to bring to life? And it can be messy and it Absolutely. can be different and it can be totally your own. Right. Yeah. And there's no right or wrong. And I think when we think about our business as science, we get caught up in like, OK, there's science, we need ingredients and I need you to implement But when you think about your business as art, you're like, well, they can co-create with me and they can paint with me. And maybe we paint it and it gets a little messy, but we're going to make it look like that was on purpose and it's going to be great. You know, so I think just recognizing that. (laughs) I do so many analogies, but it's (laughs) so, so good. We need more of that. Um, More businesses art thinking. Okay. So thinking in terms of like all this goodness, and I feel like there have already been so many tangible pieces of things that people can start to do on a regular basis. And we know that like everyone really wants this positive work environment with this great team culture. But on the flip side, we're also really busy. Entrepreneurship Mm -hmm. is stressful and we've got a lot going on. How do you recommend that busy leaders are able to still be that supportive, emotionally intelligent leader for their team amongst all these other responsibilities? That's a good question. And there's different ways. So I think, okay, I'm going to reflect back first kind of what you said is that like, it sounds like kind of what you're asking, which is true, is that us being busy often means that that comes at the expense of actually creating a space for our teams to like check in with them beyond like what needs to get done and to kind of create a space for growth and seeing like what you're missing. And so I think that, and I did this a lot with my team was I would have like standing meetings 
And there would be check-ins, but I would always start with like them as a person first. And so it would be like, before we talk about work, I'm just like, how are you feeling right now? Like, how has this week been? Like, how are you feeling? And sometimes they would bring things to the table that had to do with like not work at all. It would just be like, this thing's going on in my family. It's just kind of like bugging me right now. And so I kind of was creating this intentional space of like, we're not going to talk about work because I just kind of want to see how you're doing. And they won't always feel comfortable sharing those things with you. But oftentimes, and it's funny because I do this at the beginning of coaching calls too, before we go in and talk about anything, I'm like, how are you as a human right now? And those check-ins were important because then they didn't have to pretend the whole call that they weren't really like thinking about this other thing. And I would, I'd be able to keep that in mind and say, okay, how can I support you with that? Is there anything that I need to be aware of that's going to affect, you know, how like you're showing up? And so that's one thing is just like having these standing meetings and not waiting until your team member has to talk to you like about something. So I think that having it, whether you need it or not, is important. And like one-on-ones, not always team. And it doesn't have to be every week. I'd have some team members that I met up with every other week, but the one-on-one like FaceTime, even if it's like 20 minutes or something, it's just like a powwow, like having that. Um, and I think the other is actually having a, um, like I would set growth and development plans for each person in my team. And I do that with my leadership coaching clients, because otherwise you're just kind of hoping the car ends up at the right destination rather than at the beginning being like, and there's a whole process around that, but setting growth and development plans for members of your team. I also use, um, um, assessments to get to know them and how they think better. Um, so a lot of their humanity is like brought into the business, right? So I'll have them take like the disc assessment, which you can do at, um, tonyrobbins.com slash disc D I S C. And that gives you this picture of like this person, how they think, what they value in others, what they struggle with, what their natural strengths are. And we have whole meetings just about, Hey, what felt true to you? What, you know, let's talk about this. So there's like so much I can talk about just on that, but getting to know how they think and operate and how they make decisions is just like a huge part of like, you know, being there and like understanding how to, you know, get the most from them, but in a good way. Yes, I love that. And I love that you're talking about the DISC assessment too, which I think is just so like eye-opening, you know, it it gets you to really think about things in a different way or um, see different sides of people that you didn't really know were there. Absolutely. Um, Let's like tap into that a little bit more. Are there other things, other tools, assessments, like, you know, Myers-Briggs, Enneagram, things like that, that you recommend leaders use to sort of start to understand their team members on a different level? Yeah, I feel like I've done like all the assessments (laughs) in the past. And I found that me personally, like different assessments almost lean heavily on um, like, painting a certain picture of a person. Um, So sometimes it's kind of like more personality focused and then other Mm, ones are much more focused. So I'd say like almost like Myers-Briggs is good for like getting to know a person and their personality. Whereas DISC is heavily, heavily focused on organizational behavior. And that's why I love Mm. the DISC because the way that it's broken down is literally like how they, what they value in others, what they value, they bring to an organization, natural strengths, things they struggle with, you know, and how they might mesh with other people, which is why I love the disc. Um, 
I know there's also Strengths Finder. I haven't used that in a really long time, so I can't like speak to it as far as like what did I think about it. Although I never felt like I took Strengths Finders, and so did my team. But I don't remember like coming away with that with like a newfound understanding of how they thought. Whereas with Disc, I would be able to like ask specific questions about things. Like even my assistant now came from my London team, and when she took the Disc, for example, one of the things was she was um, she didn't like change, and I was like, Yo, we're always changing on this team. So like, tell me about this, and I was able to ask her and figure out what about change when it was like not explained rug pulled out from under her Mm -hmm. that's where that came from so I was like cool I will keep that in mind that I will loop you in if there's even a possibility that like things might change so it's there's just things that you're able to I like tools like that that help me yeah. think organizationally. And then of course, there's also the EQI. Um, so you can take the EQI, um, either the leadership assessment version or the workplace assessment version. So leader, the leadership assessment will focus more on like the emotional intelligence skills that you need to be a good leader, whereas the workplace one does not. And just the overall analysis of it will be a little bit different, but that one is good as well because essentially the assessment will measure you on 15 different emotional intelligence skills and you literally it's a bar from like zero to 130 and it will show you where you rank and it will also show you where you rank relative to the like million people that have taken this assessment like over the last 40 years or so so it has been tried and tried and tried and tested like across the world across all age groups um and races and so you're able to kind of see like where you rank according to you know other leaders and what you might um, want to develop. So that's another tool that I was fascinating. Um, do you recommend, or do you personally do these when you've already brought on new team members, maybe in the onboarding process or later on, or do you do this in the interview process? So I actually have integrated, and I do this with my coaching clients as well, um, with my leadership coaching clients that I have them get their second round interview candidates to take the disc. So you do first round, you don't really go too deep dive, Second round, you go deep dive into their history and a little bit more of like a working session. Then you assign them a paid test project that allows them to kind of do something that they might do in their real job. And along with that, you do the disc. Um, And so with that, you're able to really see like you're kind of looking at skills and personality at the same time because the paid test project will test skills and then the disc will look at personality and emotional intelligence a little bit, not fully emotional intelligence, but kind of like a description of how they would be in your organization. And based on that, you can decide, is this person a fit? So I always like recommend that if your interview process is a little bit more intense, it's good because who makes it out on the other side yet, I have yet to see anybody be like, oh, this was like a terrible hire, unless they Mm -hmm. go back and they're like, oh, I missed that. I missed something. Or I had three people and two people dropped out. And then like, I really should have introduced more people. And I didn't, there's always something that you can pair it back to. So disc assessment, second interview. And then once you bring them on board and you get to know them a little bit more then um, EQI, and then you're able to kind of go in and because you're getting a lot more deep on that one. Um, so that's kind of how I would approach it. I love hiring. that. I love that so much. I feel like we're always sort of in the process of expanding and hiring and bringing on somebody new. And we actually currently at the time of recording, we have just 
sort of stopped after round two of um, interviews for a role and we're starting over again. And it's Mm -hmm. because I remember your words from Mm -hmm. so long ago, you know, hire slow, fire fast. And um, just really, I mean, it came with test projects actually. And Mm -hmm. on every other level, we were like, oh, wonderful. We were like 99% sure me and my right hand gal, we're going to hire, you know, X, Y, and Z candidates. And test projects came in and it is so tempting to just say, oh, well, you know what? Um, that's okay. Make excuses. I can, you know, help train them on X, Y, and Z, but it's so much better to say the right fit person is out there. Start over. Slow down the process and do it again. Mm -hmm. Um, I love that. I'm going to incorporate disc into the, um, like pre-second interview round. That's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. And it's great because then you get to have a conversation with them about it and you know, it's all good. So that way you're getting a full picture of the person. And I've never, I have never, ever hired somebody that I had not a great feeling about. And then they surprised me. It was never that Mm -hmm. way. So just keeping that in mind. Yeah, that's so true. (laughs) So, so true. Uh, It's easy to want to just be done with the process, right? But that's exactly it. Our motivation to be done done. causes (laughs) us to bring the wrong person on board. It is always better to just start over. Which what are our brains doing? Because our motivation should be to have the absolute best people, right? Best people on the team. Mm -hmm. Yes, 100%. We need to be in a (laughs) long-term mindset. (laughs) Come on, brains. (laughs) I know. Okay. Um, let's jump forward a little bit to when they're on your team. And this is the question I think everybody always has at the top of their mind is how do you, as an emotionally intelligent leader, approach difficult, um, conversations and issues in the workplace? Oh, okay. So this is what I just spent an hour yesterday talking to a team. So first of all, I want to say having difficult conversations is like the number one question that I get asked and it exists at all levels at our all organizations. Um, so kind of like the speed answer to that, cause there's so much that goes into it, um, is so first of all, there's a few things. And I think we touched upon it earlier is that being aware first of like, what are the assumptions that you're making about the situation and the stories that you're telling yourself about the situation so that you can better table them. And that's it. Just observe them. Secondly, it is to set aside a time to actually have this conversation in private and kind of let them know like, Hey, I kind of want to talk to you about like, you know, this issue that's been going on. And I just kind of want to get your perspective. And I want, I need your help in like figuring out what to do. So that way they know that it's happening and you're not blindsiding them. Then secondly, it's like going into it and like focusing on the facts and getting very specific. Cause if you were to go into a difficult conversation and that difficult conversation is like, you just, you've been off lately, or like, you just haven't been very communicative. It's just like so general that the person's like, what? Like it kind of will bring out like a defensiveness. So go in and have specific examples. It might be like, Hey, you know, just like, I've noticed that like in our last three meetings, like, you know, you, you, you been behind on deadlines or like whatever that is. And I just, you know, what I really would love to get to is where, you know, these things are being responded to within X amount of time, or you are whatever that is. Can you talk to me about like, what is happening? Um, is there something that I'm missing? Can you talk to me about what's happening? Open up the dialogue. So that's the next thing, because they are going to share things with you. You may not, you know, you might not have expected. So kind of be prepared to receive information you weren't expecting. You're calling them in, you're having them tell you their perspective. And then you're saying, what can we do to get there? 
Like, what, what do you want to do to get there? What do you think we should do? And so at that point, they're signing themselves up for fixing that problem after they've shared their perspective, rather than you saying, go do this. They're basically saying, hey, this is my idea of like how I think we should fix this. And you're going to say, yeah, I, okay, that's, that's good. On top of that, can you also do this? And then, you know, you're able to kind of at that point say like, we've co-created this solution to this problem. Um, and then, you know, you kind of can follow up after that with saying like, okay, so like, and that now let me know can I support you in this, you know, issue that we're having, um, or this, you know, thing you're struggling with, can I support you somehow in getting there? And can we maybe like check in in another week or two and just kind of see how things are going. So really it's like, check your emotions, set a time to have the conversation, focus on the facts, like focus on facts, not feelings, get specific, invite them in, ask how, you know, how do they see the situation? Is there something that they're missing? How can we get there? And then you come up with a plan of how that's going to solve it how you can support them. And then you like check back in again, you know, in a certain amount of time to kind of see how things are going. So that is literally like, that is so, so good. (laughs) Step one, two, three, four. Everybody's like writing this down in their notebooks right now. I Um, literally have steps I can send you because I just did this yesterday where I was like, here's how you approach the conversation. And when I've had clients go through this process, they always discover something they didn't know that the person Mm -hmm. was not telling them with that they were actually struggling, silently struggling with something. They didn't tell you until you created the container to receive that information. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. I think that's so key. And even outside of those difficult conversations that we were sort of like touching on earlier, which is like, you Mm -hmm. don't know what you don't know that's going Mm -hmm. on behind the scenes, you know, in the business and you only have your perspective. And I know even within my team, um, you know, early on, there were a lot of times where I was like, why isn't this stuff happening? Or why is it mm-hmm. being done in a certain way? And I, checking in with my team and them actually saying, well, I, well, Crystal, like, you know, we need like X, Y, and Z from you in order to do this. Things that I wasn't even filtering through and yeah. thinking. And I was like, oh, and then they didn't know they could come to me and say, Crystal, we need this, right? So right. it's about like that dialogue checking in, making sure that you have this like open communication that can probably prevent some of those tough conversations too, right? It's creating a culture of communication and trust. Yeah. And you do that through example, by actually being a safe, open Mm -hmm. person for people to raise things to you. Um, And so that is exactly it. It's just being prepared to receive information that you weren't expecting and then asking, how can I help, you know, for you to get there? So you, we often see the symptom, but not the cause. And so they can help you dissect the cause of something rather than Mm -hmm. you just focusing on harping on like the, the symptom of it. This is so good. I feel like so many things that we've talked about kind of <laughs> connect to all the other things that we've talked about, like e- even with yeah. that piece. And then the idea of we're talking about having these calls where you check in with your team members in the beginning part of the call is like, it's not about whatever the meeting is about, right? It's like yeah. check in with them and have this open dialogue. And um, yeah. yeah, you're right. Yeah. So much is about just communication and how, and yeah, how to approach that. And all of it is really emotional intelligence, because if you were to think about like what some of the 15, some of the 15 emotional intelligence skills, for example, and I'll say some of them out loud because you will realize that you use all of them and maybe not every single one every day, but there is like self-awareness, self-expression, um, um, self-actualization of like how purposeful you feel, problem solving, um, stress management, flexibility, interpersonal relations. Um, there is empathy, like there's, uh, oh, then there's uh, assertiveness. There's so many things. So really it's building the skills up. It is your toolbox. You don't use all the tools all the time. 
And you're able to go in and say, what tool does the situation require? Because even mm-hmm. having a tough conversation requires empathy. It might require assertiveness. It might, it requires emotional expression. It requires sometimes problem solving. Sometimes it requires flexibility. It requires all of these things. And that's why building your emotional intelligence means it doesn't matter what the situation is. You have the toolbox to help you build whatever it is you need to build, but you're going to know intuitively which tool does the situation call for. Yes. Okay. So if there is a listener right now who feels like they're not quite sure where to start, they want to become a better leader, a more emotionally intelligent leader, what's like an easy next step for them? Um, I think, I mean, honestly, it would be great to take the assessment, but I think that if they didn't want to take the assessment and if they wanted to take the assessment, they can take it with me. Um, you know, you have to be certified to administer it. And we go through an hour debrief and we identify two to three top areas that would serve you best to develop and some steps that, you know, will kind of help to get you there. But assessments aside, honestly, like, I think that it's recognizing like number one, like what does, like, what does a good leader mean to you? Um, like just describe like, what is a good leader to you and what kind of, you know, how do you want people to describe you as a leader? And then look at those qualities and then like, just try to be real with yourself and be like, am I really showing up this way? Um, do I struggle? Where do I struggle? And what are some opportunities for me to be aware? Like, for example, let's say, um, you know, you want to be a leader who, knows how to be compassionate and clear and honest, but like you tend to be a people pleaser. So let's say you think you're a people pleaser. That still, that hat tends to come out because that happens a lot in leadership and you don't like conflict, but so you avoiding conflict means you don't show up the way that you want to. So you're like, what is my next opportunity to practice? and sitting in discomfort a little bit. So I think that it's really identifying that that, those gaps and what is my next opportunity to practice and just being aware of that. Yeah, that's so good. And, and just approaching it as that it's a practice. This isn't like the end all be all. Yeah. And it takes practice constantly. Like it is a literal learned skill. So that's all we want to do is become aware of what we need to practice and then just do it. Oh, you're just the best. I love everything that <laughs> comes you. out of your mouth. Um, okay. So thank you so much. This has been so, so wonderful. Um, I want to ask you our closing question here. Of course, on the Freedom Found podcast, we are all about cultivating businesses that allow women to find their freedom. So having said that, what advice do you have for entrepreneurs listening that are on a mission to incorporate more freedom into their life? The first thing that came to mind with that was what does freedom mean to you? And whatever freedom means to you, that is what you don't compromise. You can compromise on the others to get to that, but you preserve that. So I think about freedom could be, you know, and, and not that you have to choose these things. It could be how much money you make. It could be never doing anything you don't believe in because that was super important to you in your past. It could also be time freedom. Like you want to be time rich. You don't want to work very many hours because you just really want to enjoy your, like I'm a mother. So that's super important. So there's things that I say no to in order to preserve that freedom. And there's other things where I'm like, ah, I'll exchange this. That's okay. But this is what freedom means to me and why I'm doing this. So I think always being clear on what you're not willing to compromise and what freedom means to you. That's such a perfect way of thinking about it. Yeah. I love it. So, so good. (laughs) Um, So let us know, like you've given us so many great things to think about and so many great things to take action on as well. If um, people want to work with you, how can they do so? And how can we connect and just follow along with your journey as well? Yeah, definitely. So um, I would invite anyone listening to either um, connect with me on my website, mariella 
www.mariella.delmora.com. I don't know if that'll be in the show notes or on Instagram, um, mariella.delmora. And um, you can work with me either one-on-one as a leadership coach where we'll go in and figure out like over six to eight weeks, like what is it that you need based on where your starting point is. So this could be help with anything from creating um, a hiring plan, um, growth and development planning for your team, maybe like systems to connect it all together, leadership coaching for you and your team, EQ assessments, disc assessments, all of those things. Um, And then kind of just being like your right-hand person as you're navigating challenges throughout your team to kind of help build you up. And um, yeah, so it's all, um, it's all something that, you know, um, is really kind of custom to where you are, but a good starting point as well is just taking the EQI assessment and figuring out like, what are your best areas to develop? And we'll identify like, how can you do that? What are your two to three key areas? And then you can kind of go on about your way and do that one thing just to start with, to get a good picture of it. So those are all sort of good ways to, to get started. I love that. Thank you so, so much. If you have not connected with Mariella yet, you need to go and do so. She's wonderful and hangs out on Instagram. So it's super fun to follow along with you. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you, Crystal, for having me. This is so fun. It sure was.